folks. Ben Buchanan, investment advisor, portfolio manager, and newly crowned king of the application of logic and rationalism to all things important. Downloading viruses of pathological optimism and business insights straight from my brain to yours. This is the podcast where we dive into all things Uber. First and foremost, we will look at the criticism Uber is receiving right now 50 times a day. And we'll examine whether or not they should regret their mistakes. We're also going to look at whether Uber would be a good investment today and what the future of Uber might look like. Then I will briefly opine on some of the suggestions the business media have for Uber right now on how to repair their business. And I'll let you know if they're right or wrong. There is absolutely nothing in this podcast that might accidentally be taken as investment advice. I'm not going to give you my little disclaimer spiel. Let's dive right in. So, everyone has been hearing about all of Uber's problems lately. Just in case you haven't, I just typed into my trusty Wall Street Journal app nothing more than the word Uber. I didn't type in Uber problems or anything like that, which would have biased my search. Just Uber. Here are the articles that pop up. Crisis of the week. Uber faces tipping point after CEO resigns. Leaderless Uber scrambles to prevent employee exodus. Uber CEO Travis Kalanick quits as investors revolt. Uber's biggest problem? Its business model. And the negative articles continue. Now, I haven't read these articles, so I can't speak to their contents, but I have been reading articles daily now for the past few months and listening to people on the news media every single day talk about all of the, quote, mistakes Uber has made. And one of the questions that always comes up is, should Uber regret XYZ? Should they regret something that they did in the past? Should Uber regret creating the culture that they now have? My answer is an emphatic no, and here's why. Apart from the fact that regret is an inherently detrimental concept and has never benefited any person ever, it is impossible to look backward at what happened and then definitively state that if they had done something different in the past, they would be better off today. Understanding why such activities are meaningless and impossible boils down to understanding a basic concept, which is, in complex systems, for example, human society, business, etc., it is impossible to know the impact of changing something in the past on the system as a whole. Again, you cannot know what the impact of changing XYZ in the past would have on the system as a whole. So, just like we can say, wouldn't it be nice to have no mosquitoes? But we can't kill all mosquitoes because, even though they're a bad thing, we have no idea what it would do to the ecological system. It's the same way with Uber. We can't just say Uber should have done X, for example, kill their company mosquitoes, i.e. overly aggressive culture, because we have no idea what else that might have caused to change. So, I think these folks talking about the past are not understanding the difference between things that can be known and things that can't be known. Today, the study of what can and can't be known, and the study of how to act in situations where you cannot possibly know things is beginning to get close to the world of science, and it has been broken down into different pieces. But some of the more commonly known concepts dealing with this issue are the butterfly effect, chaos theory, complexity theory, and, more recently, the problem which agent-based modeling sets out to solve. So, 
quick review. Butterfly Concept says the butterfly flapping its wings on the other side of the planet could have unknown and massive repercussions worldwide. Chaos Theory points out that the behavior of dynamical systems can be massively sensitive to initial conditions. Complexity Theory says that when it comes to systems that are sufficiently complex, nothing is predictable and changes have unknown and unknowable ramifications. Agent-based modeling is what has only recently become possible due to machine learning and neural networks combined with massive computing power. And it is trying to solve, in a sense, the problem of unpredictability by basically creating a set of rules, putting those rules into a situation, and then seeing the range of possible scenarios play out. So you can't exactly predict the future, but you can at least have an understanding of the range of potential outcomes. Uh, in economics and finance, for example, those rules might be you have buyers, you have sellers, those buyers and sellers have different needs for liquidity, safety, emotional comfort, etc. Uh, and that would depend on whether they're an individual, rich or poor, big or small, uh, bank or broker. So you set out those rules, you define the potential range of participants and their desires, and then you put them in a scenario, like for example, house prices begin to fall. And then you run billions of scenarios and see what happens. So again, you know that no one particular scenario is very likely, but at least after you see the billions of scenarios that are possible, you have an idea about the range of potential future states. So there's a great book on financial crises and why economists can't predict them called The End of Theory, and it showcases agent-based modeling as one potential tool to prepare for and manage through financial crises. And financial crises are probably the most well-known and widely studied of unpredictable events other than maybe the weather and political crises. Anyway, what all four of these concepts outline, though, and what is relevant to Uber and its past, is that it is impossible to say with any useful degree of confidence that they should have done XYZ, because it's very possible that doing XYZ would have ramifications that result in a severely worse present state than that in which Uber currently finds itself. I will point out that I believe this is a powerful concept for people to understand when it comes to their own personal lives as well. Oftentimes, I will hear somebody say that they regret not having done X, Y, or Z in the past. But then I ask them, is there anything, even one thing, about your present that you would not change for the world? Almost always, the answer is yes. And it's usually something to do with family, friends, or personal relationships. Uh, and sometimes it has to do with business or something else. But I then point out that if they wouldn't be willing to change whatever that aspect of their life is today for anything in the world, then they should have no regrets about the past. Because it is a logical fallacy to assume that they could change anything about the past and still find themselves where they are today. And they very well might not have whatever it is that they value so highly if they change the past. So back to Uber. I posit that even if they did something as minor as changing the bathrooms at Uber, from being multiple stall to single room and toilet. It might not be the same company today. Now, I don't actually think that changing the bathrooms would have derailed the freight train that is Uber. But my point is, we know for a fact that it is impossible to say that even small changes in the past would have resulted in a better present. Further, the better the present, the lower the likelihood that any change in the past would have improved on the current state of being. And when it comes to Uber, especially, People are complaining most about the culture. They are asking talking heads on the news to comment on whether or not Uber should regret having built the culture the way that it is. My belief is that if they had changed the culture, they would not be where they are today, and they would probably be a hell of a lot worse off. 
Uber is literally one of the most successful startup stories of all time. The probability of Uber, quote, happening is minuscule. Given how amazing the current state is, it is incredibly dangerous and, in my opinion, an outright act of hubris to think that anybody could reasonably suggest that changing something about Uber's far-back past would have been a good move. If their culture was less competitive, maybe they wouldn't have moved into China. No one else from overseas did in any meaningful way. And while that was expensive, Uber got a 20% stake in Didi Zhujing out of it. Didi is China's Uber, and they have more rides per year than all other ride-sharing companies, including Uber, combined. It was Uber's competitive culture that pushed them into cities where the local government and taxi unions were against them. And if they weren't dominating the market and spreading into 60 countries, they probably would not have been able to raise $15 billion. They probably wouldn't have $8 billion in cash on hand. Rest assured, anybody on Earth today would trade all of Lyft for all of Uber. That's why the market value of Uber is 60 to $70 billion, and the market value of Lyft is one-tenth of that, around $7 billion. To clarify my point, let's consider somebody who bought a winning lottery ticket. After they buy the winning lottery ticket, they're given a time machine and the option to go back in time and play the same lottery again. They now have additional information, like, for example, which store will sell the winning ticket. But they might not be the ones to buy it because somebody else might buy it. So, in a vacuum, from their starting perspective, they would be better off knowing which store was going to sell it. Last time, they just got lucky. But now they know which store it's going to be in. But that's a moot point because they already won the lottery. Obviously, they shouldn't go back in time and try to play again. I see discussions around, should Uber have done anything differently in their past as being the same as discussing whether or not the lottery winner should go back in time and play the lottery again. Now, I have two quick asides before looking at Uber as an investment. One of Uber's board members, David Bonderman, who, by the way, is 74 years old, was forced to resign from Uber's board because he said women talk too much, or something to that effect. This is an absolute joke. I understand that Uber needs to work on its PR and image, especially with women because of the claims of sexual harassment. But give me a break. By the way, he was responding to a comment by Ariana Huffington of the Huffington Post, who is also a board member. And let me tell you, Ariana Huffington, whether you love her or hate her, is an incredibly strong woman capable of taking care of herself. I would bet dollars to donuts that she is not the person that tried to get him removed, and I bet she isn't the one who leaked the information. I would love to know what hypersensitive person in that room leaked the audio to the media uh, about this joke, and that's the person who I would kick off the board or remove from whatever next meeting uh, the company's going to have. Now, had I been in the room, especially given that it was a meeting about sexism, I probably would have told this David Bonderman guy to go walk off a cliff. It was obviously the wrong time and place, and I'm not even saying that there is a right time and place, but obviously this guy had terrible timing. But the right response would be for the whole room to humiliate him for his idiocy and then move on. And guess what? Five minutes after the fact, no one would even have remembered he said it, except for him, and he'd feel stupid. And him feeling stupid is exactly the right amount of punishment for this offense. Uh, you know who also made this joke, by the way? Peter freaking Pan in the Disney movie. He was referring to Wendy, who was blabbering incessantly about the Lost Boys or something. So, I know absolutely nothing about David Bonderman. But if I had my way, a board member would be a board member because they brought something to the table. And I would not remove them because they made a joke. 
even if it were in poor taste. What if Jeff Bezos made this joke? Does he all of a sudden need to be removed from Amazon? Would that really be the best thing for the world? So for my second quick aside, this is something Uber has been criticized for, which I completely disagree with. The New York Times revealed that Uber had moved into cities where it was not allowed to operate. They did this by creating a tool called Grayball. The program showed government officials a fake version of Uber's app with ghost cars. This was to get the government officials to chase down non-existent cars rather than finding where the Uber drivers were. So uh, that's, that's literally exactly what happened. Government officials would be chasing down non-existent Uber cars. Um, my first thought is that this is freaking hilarious and awesome at the same time. I support no government keeping Uber out of the city. Uber's cars are safer, cleaner, and show up faster than existing transport options like taxis and MARTA systems. That data is out there. We know that for a fact. Rest assured, if a city is resisting Uber, it's not because they care about their inhabitants. It's because they care about their own political jobs, which may be at risk if taxis or whoever else among the entrenched interests get mad. I just about died laughing when I first heard this, and what makes this so brilliant is that it's not exactly violating the law. They have cars driving where they are not allowed to, but that's not a big deal from a legal perspective. But more to the point, the government, rather than go after Uber corporate, was trying to go after drivers, probably because they knew what a pain it would be to go after Uber corporate. I'm pretty sure there isn't any law saying you can't show the government spooks some fake version of an app. So in addition to the kudos for innovation, brilliance, and pranky hilarity, they were able to keep drivers in cities that they otherwise would not have been able to be in. They were able to capture data. They were able to spread their brand, all while figuring out a way to do it within the gray area of the law. This type of thinking outside of the box is a good thing, not a bad thing. So they get criticized for this. I give them kudos for this. And guess what else? I just bet you that when Uber was pitching investors at the Saudi Arabian Wealth Fund or who knows what other rich folks overseas, they told them about this and all had a good laugh. And I bet the check from those investors went up a few percent or more after they heard this because this is the type of powerful anecdote that gets people's innate juices flowing, that gets them excited. I mean, the odds of somebody coming up with something like that are very low. Very few companies, probably none, would have ever come up with this. It's brilliant. Anyway, moving on. Uber as an investment. Would I put money into Uber? So price is what you pay, value is what you get. Uber lost $2 billion in 2015 and $2.8 billion in 2016. And it will probably lose less than that uh, this year, but it'll still lose a ton. Losing money means you have to fund your business with new capital, either in the form of debt or equity. Any business that requires new capital to keep on functioning has dangers that other businesses capable of self-funding do not. It basically puts a timeline on the life of the company, unless something changes. So currently Uber has $8 billion in cash out of the $15 billion or so that it is raised. So they're not on life support or anything like that, but to me, it's impossible to value a company that loses money so fast, especially when you can't get good data on the actual cost of providing the service. Now, if you can't figure out how valuable Uber is based on the current economics of the business, maybe you can make some inferences about how valuable the industry of ride sharing will be in the future and what the economics of the business might be in a mature market. 
and then back that down into what Uber might make after the waters have calmed, so to speak. So growth in ride sharing is up somewhere between 50 and 100% year over year. And that growth won't go to zero next year. So let's make some assumptions. Didi Zhujing in China will do north of 5 billion rides this year. Uber should do somewhere north of 2 billion. So add Didi's 5 to Uber's 2, and then let's assume they have 75% global market share. That would mean that globally this year, there's going to be somewhere north of 9 billion rides. Let's assume that uh, ride sharing grows 50% this year, 40% next year, 30% the year after, and then 20% for the next two years. So that means in five years, $9 billion, or I mean 9 billion rides at those growth rates result in uh, 37 billion rides annually five years from now. Nobody on earth would consider growth rates like that the most likely scenario. 50, 40, 30, 20, 20 <laughs> would represent one of the fastest growths of any industry ever. So consider this a potential bullish case. If we assume that each ride results in $2 in revenue, Uber's current average is around three, but the competition will probably drive that down some over time. So let's use two. So at $2 a ride and 37 billion rides, we're talking about a 70 billion revenue market. Let's assume net profit margins are 10%. That's probably reasonable given the insane competition this industry is going to draw uh, with interest already on the part of not just Uber and Didi and Lyft, but also automakers, Google, Apple, uh, you know, who knows who else. So 10% profit on 70 billion in revenue is 7 billion of net profit to go around. Given the growth rate of the businesses, it's not unreasonable to assume that the industry as a whole would trade at a PE or price to earnings multiple of say 25. That would mean the total market cap that could be supported by the industry would be $7 billion times 25 or somewhere around $175 billion. That to me seems pretty reasonable. So the market will be huge, but valuations are already huge. Uber is valued at $68 billion today. If Uber's stock went up 10% each year for the next five years, it would be worth $109 billion. Is it reasonable that Uber would have $109 billion of value out of the $175 billion of total value? That would represent 63% of, of the market value uh, for ride-sharing companies. Um, if Uber's price were to go up 20% per year, which given their valuation seems like a scenario that many investors are counting on, then they would have $169 billion in market value out of a $175 billion market value. That would be a 97% market value share. That obviously is not going to happen. DD already does more rides in China than all other ride-sharing companies combined. So now it's possible that margins are higher, my growth rate is too low, or my multiple of earnings is way off. In any of those scenarios, we could be looking at a market value of, say, $350 billion instead of $175 billion. In that case, if Uber grew at 20%, they would have 48% of global market value share. Um, and if they grew at 10%, their global market value share would be 31%. So even that is a very bullish scenario. And I don't think anybody is investing in Uber for 10% growth in their stock price. So... My view is that given the risks, the valuation is too high, and it ranges somewhere from nosebleed optimistic to laughably insane. Now, forget valuation. What about the future of the company itself? Here's where I am more bearish than most. Travis Kalanick has already publicly recognized driverless cars as the biggest threat to Uber. The value of Uber is being able to connect a driver to a rider super fast. But if you don't need drivers, where's the value?
The economies of scale become magnitudes less important if you can summon a driverless car that will always be where you want it in five to 10 minutes. It's quite plausible that Amazon will get into the business and operate at cost or even operate at a loss on all of the ride sharing it offers in order to keep people relying on its services for everything. They famously call Amazon the everything store. As I mentioned in a previous podcast, Amazon can sell more socks because it offers premium video. And if you're already a Prime member because you like to buy things like toilet paper and socks, then you get premium video for free. This ability to benefit economically from one service or product that historically was in a completely different industry as another is new, exciting, and terrifying for everyone that isn't Amazon. No one else can get people to pay for video content and entertainment and then get them to buy more socks and toilet paper from them as well. Amazon gets to pick and choose where to make a profit and where to take losses, and this is a competitive dynamic that has never existed until today. Rest assured, people at Amazon are looking at ride-sharing. Companies like Google and Apple are probably not wanting to enter the market while drivers are still involved. But rest assured, they will want to be in it after the driver is removed from the picture. The entrance of all of the other big tech companies into the market should and probably is hanging like the sort of Damocles above Uber's head. All that being said, it is definitely possible that Uber remains one of the largest companies on earth and keeps on growing. I think the range of possible outcomes over the next five years for Uber are anything from insane growth to shrinking down to an acquirable size and being bought by somebody like Google or Apple for less than the value it is trading at today, maybe even much less. Now, to close up, what do I think of the suggestions people are making about what Uber should do? Here, I almost totally agree across the board with the business journalists. While I completely disagree that Uber has made a million mistakes, that it should be filled with regret or anything like that, I think looking forward, it is very reasonable to bring in a powerful woman to be the CEO. Somebody like Sheryl Sandberg would be a home run for them. I definitely think they need to focus on repairing their image, do some brand marketing, institute some more stringent HR policies, uh, etc. But agreeing with what they should do about the future is not the same as agreeing that what they did in the past was in any way a mistake. Their problems are fixable, and they might, or even I'll say probably, would not be where they are today if they had changed things in the past. Insights and perspectives that you won't hear anywhere else, you hear from me. Coming to you from the global headquarters of innovation in the fields of rationalism, optimism, and the application of logic, I'm Ben Buchanan.